Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Chlorhexidine. Such a commonly used molecule in veterinary medicine, whether it's surgical scrub or where I would be utilizing it as a dermatologist in cases of pyoderma or otitis. But do you actually know how chlorhexidine works? What's the mechanism of action? What percentage should be using in, say, a severe pyoderma or a case of otitis? Well, I wanted to break down some of the basics of an ingredient we use all the time and starting with how chlorhexidine works. So chlorhexidine is positively charged. So it binds to the negatively charged bacterial cell membrane. And essentially what it does is it disrupts that cell wall. And it'll precipitate all the cell proteins that were within that bacteria and cause the cell membrane to rupture. And the nice thing is when we talk about utilizing something like chlorhexidine, especially in dermatology, is it has good residual activity. It'll actually bind things like keratin in the skin. So it's really concentration dependent, right? When we're talking about topical products and we all dilute it to some degree. Well, chlorhexidine is bacteriostatic when it's at lower concentrations. And say if you're using at very high concentrations, which most of us probably aren't, you know, using completely 100% straight chlorhexidine, but then it would be bactericidal depending on the contact time. And it has a really broad spectrum. So we tend to think of it as useful in gram-positive bacteria, such as Staphylococcus. But gram-negative can have some effect too, even fungus or viruses. And chlorhexidine itself is not inactivated by organic material, which is really important when we're talking about utilizing something topically, right? Like there's going to be other things that are present on the skin. So we certainly don't want to... um, be messing with something that's going to be inactivated. And we know, especially when we talk about like otitis or certain antibiotics that are truly inactivated by purulent debris. So the fact that chlorhexidine seems to be a more sturdy molecule, if you'll, if you will, as far as a topical solution, that's really, really important. So where we know the most about chlorhexidine in dermatology, you know, there's definitely studies of utilizing it in otitis, but the most attention we get is utilizing it in cases of pyoderma. And the reason being, we're really trying to be cautious of our empirical use of antibiotics because we want to be good stewards of antimicrobials. We know it's a one health issue. We know we're seeing these bacteria get worse and worse with resistance. So it is important to know why we'd use chlorhexidine and to be utilizing topical therapy when we can so that we can try to turn back the clock a little bit and hopefully not have as resistant a bacteria. And I actually think we're going to be seeing moving forward in the next, you know, five to 10 years, we're probably going to be changing how we use antibiotics a lot. Some discussions I've had with clients who are actually human physicians and and some on boards of say, um, antimicrobial resistance uh, committees 
at big human hospitals, which is really intimidating when you're talking to them about utilizing antibiotics in their pet, you know, they are starting to treat for shorter amounts of time, depending on what the actual infection is, um, with higher doses, shorter amounts of time. And so some things that I think we're going to see trickling down into veterinary medicine, trying to use things like topical therapy, maybe having more restrictions on the use of antibiotics. So it'll be really interesting to kind of see what happens. And that's why I think it's really important that we have a knowledge base of other things we would use all the time like a topical product such as chlorhexidine. So if we look at skin, there's multiple studies out there that show topical therapy alone can resolve pyoderma. And they've even looked at cases of methicillin-resistant staphylococcus suit intermediates. And there has even been studies comparing treating, say, a staph infection compared to using systemic antimicrobials and finding out that there's a significant percentage of them that can have their infections eliminated just by using chlorhexidine-containing shampoos. Now, in the literature, um, percentages become really important. Because a lot of the over-the-counter products, so if a client says, oh, I have a chlorhexidine product it's over-the-counter, most of those are going to have a low percentage. So most of those will have like 1% chlorhexidine. If you're using chlorhexidine on its own with no other ingredients that are synergistic, then we want 3 to 4%. So that becomes really important for us to look at the percentages. So, for example, Trischlor 4 by Decra is a 4% chlorhexidine shampoo. Utilizing something like Duke's OS3 Pio, that's a 3% chlorhexidine shampoo. So we want at least a 3 to 4%. And there are studies comparing that to treatment of pyoderma, even with looking at systemic therapy. For example, a study that looked at the use of clavamox uh, compared to using a 4% chlorhexidine shampoo on its own with no systemic antibiotics and they found it to be just as effective. So that's really important. Now there are some products that have combination products and have synergism. For example, like a 2% chlorhexidine with myconazole, we can see synergism. But personally for me, if my main focus is treating a bacterial pyoderma and I'm going to be utilizing topical therapy to help with that, then I really want a 3 4 to 4% personally. Um, and remember, when we talk about bathing, bathing is extremely important for lots of reasons. It's a more diffuse way that we can distribute the chlorhexidine if that's what we're utilizing. It also helps remove things like allergens from the skin. So when we talk about bathing with owners, we don't just want to say, oh, we want to bathe to get rid of the infection but also we want to lessen our use of systemic microbials. We want to be able to remove things like pollen standards, uh, excessive keratin, say if their skin turnover time is inappropriate based on some dermatologic disease, that that really can be helpful to remove some of that from the skin as well for, for the comfort standpoint, for even our enjoyment of our pet's skin at home, then bathing can be really helpful for that. And the nice thing about bathing is we do see some studies showing residual activity. So for example, there's some studies that suggest depending on which formulation you're using, there can be residual antibacterial activity for a week if an animal is bathed with something like a 3% chlorhexidine. And, and there's lots of things that feed into that, right? What's the formulation of the shampoo? What's the hair length of the pet? How severe is the disease? Are there perpetuating factors that are present? But a lot of these cases we can manage with once weekly or twice weekly bathing, even with active pyoderma. 
The other nice thing about chlorhexidine is we can utilize other formulations. If we say have a client who wouldn't be able to bathe their pet as much or they could commit to once a week but we want something more focally to areas in between those bath days, then there's lots of products that have 3 to 4% chlorhexidine in them that are mousses, wipes, sprays, and so those can be really beneficial depending on what that, that particular pet's needs are to try to use something with chlorhexidine in it instead of a systemic antimicrobial, but maybe it's more realistic for the owner. And we do have some really wicked infections where we really see if the owners can bathe daily, but for a lot of people that can be unrealistic, and so then we wanna look into other options that are out there. So, you know, bathing when we're able to, work with the owner. If they can't bathe in pet for whatever reason, they have an injury, they have arthritis, do they have a family member or a friend who could help them do it once a week? Could they just bring them to a groomer once a week, say for a month as we're getting things under control and then utilizing something like a spray or a mousse or um, a wipe in between, especially if we have more focal lesions that are present. And when we mention this, I'm also pointing out, as we always do, the importance of cytology to know what infection is there, but we also have to manage the underlying problem. So we're really going to struggle to get pyodermas under control, even if we're using something like chlorhexidine the right way, if we are not controlling the underlying process. So whether that's antipyritics, if they have some sort of allergic disease, whether it is that, that workup, do we need to do a diet trial on that pet? Do we need to consider referring them for allergy testing if we have long-standing atopic dermatitis that we can't control with symptoms uh, symptom management? Backing up into bathing, there's other really important things that can happen if we're appropriately cleaning the skin with products. Whether there's a pyoderma there or we've just gotten through a pyoderma and now we're actually going to be working on maintenance. And I think that's often overlooked, honestly, is bathing as maintenance. I am going to come to that in a second about do we necessarily need to use chlorhexidine in those cases. So cleaning the skin using veterinary um, prescribed topical therapy because we want to use things that have research behind them and are reliable and explain that to owners and why these products are going to be more beneficial compared to maybe something over the counter. Um, cleaning the skin will actually help promote things like desquamation. So it helps remove surface bacteria and yeast. We talked about how it can help remove allergens. It can normalize that keratinization. Again, if we have some sort of cutaneous defect, whether it's allergies or a keratinization disorder that's primary or an endocrinopathy, our keratinization can be off. And so it helps to normalize that. It can also improve things like barrier function depending on which type of topical products that we're utilizing. Bathing, especially if you have owners you like cool the tepid water, obviously that can also help decrease inflammation. And so these are all the things that we want to be considering as far as how we're going to try to treat a pyoderma topically. But one thing I do want to point out, and I think this is again something that we're going to learn more and more as time goes on, we are seeing at least in human medicine, and I've actually had medical clients um, who are in the medical field who have had concern about this if I have them try to bathe with chlorhexidine shampoo, is there are reports of chlorhexidine resistant infections. And so that kind of backs up into, you know, what are we using chlorhexidine for? Should we be throwing it at every case with skin disease? 
Um, so this is really more well documented in the human literature, but we are starting to see reports of it in the literature for veterinary medicine. For example, there was a paper in the last couple of years that came out that talked about long-lasting nosocomial persistence of chlorhexidine-resistant serratia bacteria. And so they actually identified in some of these, um, I think it was chlorhexidine uh, swabs that are, are kind of gauzes that are left out. Say if we're going to do something like surgical strubs, they actually identified different isolates and they called them healthcare associated infections based on what we see in the human uh, field. And they took chlorhexane solution, it was used to impregnate gauze, and what they found is that was the source of the this, this serratia outbreak. And they had high MIC values for chlorhexidine. So it was kind of the first nosocomial spread of chlorhexidine-resistant bacteria, which is serratia, not one we, it's usually more of like a contaminant. But it just goes to show that we still might need to be cautious with that. And where does that direct me? Because I still use a ton of chlorhexidine clinically, you know, whether we're talking about an otitis or we're talking about hyoderma. Well, I've really tried to shift the mindset of just saying, okay, I sent home a bottle of chlorhexidine shampoo when we're dealing with an infection. Okay, great. They're doing well. Perfect. Keep bathing with that. And, and honestly, sometimes owners do just want to use up what they have at home because dealing with allergies is expensive and no owner wants to have a pharmacy of like 8 million topicals at home. However, I really try to get in the habit if, if they're doing really well, say we've cleared up the pyoderma, then I'll mention, hey, you know, we need to switch to some sort of maintenance shampoo. Let's reserve that chlorhexidine shampoo for if we hit spring and you notice areas of redness or you notice areas um, of crusting so we can have you bathe with it quickly and get that under control so we can avoid antibiotics. But let's actually focus on our maintenance therapy of, say, one weekly bathing or every other week bathing when they're not having an active pyoderma. Let's look at something that actually is you know, more supportive of the epidermal barrier, but doesn't necessarily have chlorhexidine in it. So there's lots of products that are really, truly meant for kind of restoring the epidermal barrier. So think of like Duxo S3 Calm or highlight shampoos, or there's different sprays that are oatmeal based that can be more soothing, but don't necessarily need to be utilized for something like an infection. And the reason I do that is this potential chlorhexidine resistance. So if I don't have an active pyoderma, I don't necessarily need them to be bathing with chlorhexidine. Um, and, or say they want to use up the shampoo they have at home, but I say when we get a refill, we're going to switch to this. So I love chlorhexidine. I utilize it a lot, but I am trying to be kind of just thoughtful of when I use it. And every client's different, you know, if they will make that change. And then, and I also have chronic offenders where it just seems like no matter what I do, if they're not utilizing chlorhexidine to some sort of maintenance therapy, they just always break out with some sort of bacterial infection and then that may change too. But that's a recent shift I've kind of started to make in some of my cases just on the process of you know, thinking about chlorhexidine resistance, it's certainly something I don't want to see on the rise long term. So food for thought, I don't have a ton of answers for that. I think we're going to see more research into this as we're seeing more research into topical therapy and how to appropriately use it so that we can minimize the use of systemic antimicrobials. But I always like to evolve how I'm practicing, make sure I'm doing my, you know, my best work for that pet, but also for one health in general. And so it's just something I take into consideration now, or I didn't necessarily take into consideration for my maintenance cases before. So I hope that was helpful as far as the use of chlorhexidine, how it works, what percentages we should be using. 
what formulations are out there, and then maybe just some considerations of chlorhexidine resistance and our thoughts of how we prevent that becoming a rising problem. I hope you find this information really helpful. And as always, if there's certain podcast ideas that you guys have really wanted and you don't feel like I've provided yet, please feel free to reach out on my Instagram, the DermVet. I'm always happy to dive into some of these topics a little deeper for you guys so it can enhance how you practice veterinary dermatology.